Amen. Yeah, I think we can celebrate that. The God who makes all things new. And that is the title of the new series that we're entering into for January. All things new. Would you say it with me? All things new. Does that seem possible? That all things can be new. That's what God is desiring to lead us into in this season. Will you believe it? That God is making all things new. Now you can say, well, how is everything going to change this year? Look at the brokenness of the world. Look at the conditions that we live in. This all things new is an inside out all things new. That God does work in the inner part of our being and transforms us. And then we have the opportunity to impact those around us, our culture and our world. The foundational verse that we have for this series is Isaiah 43, 19. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. See, I am doing a new thing. Will you look? Will you behold? Will you set your gaze upon what the I am is doing? I am doing a new thing. This is not a statement of might. It is not a statement that what could be, but a declaration of what is. I am doing a new thing. And is preceded by this instruction. Verse 18 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. That would include 2022, 2021, 2020. Remember that year. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. It springs up. There's life. When I hear that it springs up, I think of what Jesus talked about, the Holy Spirit, streams of living water springing from within us. But here's the question. Do you not perceive it? Are you aware of what God is doing? Are your eyes open and is your mind comprehending what God is doing? Because if we fail to, to perceive, we will fall into places of depression, of hopelessness, of striving and seeking to do things in our own strength. We can fall into so many places that are lacking the beauty of the new thing that God is doing. But he's calling us to see, to perceive it. But often we can be in a rut. And that rut, I've thought about that, is, is a well-worn path, right? It's what we're used to. It's what has, has gotten, there's a groove that we're in. But I've heard the definition of a rut as being this, a grave with open ends. Does that rut sound deeper now? <laughs> Because a rut can be something that we're walking in. It's what we're used to. It's all we think can, can be because that, that grave with open ends has walls on it and those walls keep us from seeing. They, those walls that are beside us keep us from perceiving and we're stuck. But there's something that you can do. When you're in the rut and all you can see is the walls on the side, there is a way that you can look and it's looking up. It's looking up, it's looking to God and seeing that he is perceiving that he is making all things new. And when we look to him, when we look up and we see the beauty of who he is, the power of our almighty God, we can have hope. We can be lifted up, we can be looking forward instead of focusing back. When we look up, we can see that he is making a way in the wilderness. And when I think of wilderness, I think about the wilderness of our world. But I also think about the wilderness in my, inside of me. And God is making a way. Do you not perceive it? He is making a way in the wilderness. And what else is he doing? He's bringing streams in the wasteland, refreshing waters in the desert. He is bringing a flow of his presence. He is making all things new. Do you not perceive it? 
So I'm going to just offer a prayer right now, and this is a prayer of dedication of this time and of this month of January as we focus on all things new, that God will open our hearts and our minds. Uh, so we've, we've been in prayer already, but just want to invite you to agree with me in prayer toward what God is calling us in all things new. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, that you are God of the impossible, that when we look at a situation, when we look at ourselves, we can feel that, that there's no way, God, that you can make new, that you can bring new. But God, we thank you that you are the God of the impossible, that you are the creator of the universe, and that you have brought, a, 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 brought to us a salvation that is only possible through your work, that your word declares that when we are in Christ, that we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So God, we thank you that you have, you have taken our lives that were lost in sin. We were in slavery. We were in darkness. And you've broken the chains, Lord. You've set us free. You've brought light. You've brought life. And we thank you that we have that testimony who are in Christ. And we thank you too, God, that, that we can look to the end of the book. God, and we can hear that prophecy that after Satan is cast into, into the pit forever and final judgment happens, that there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, there's a new Jerusalem. The old things are gone, the former things are, are gone, and you declare from the throne, I make all things new. So God, we thank you that that finished work that will happen then is in process now. God, that you are making all things new, and God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, minds to understand, understand hearts to believe this truth. God, that in you, all things are new. So Lord, help us to rest in you. Help us to rest in this truth. Help us to encourage one another and provoke one another on in this truth of all things new. And Lord, we will give you praise. God, for it's only in you that this can happen. And we worship you and we exalt you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and everyone said, amen. Do you realize that when you said amen, you said so be it? It's that word of agreement. And that's what we are desiring to move together as a body in all things new. Today, as we begin this series, I'm going to be bringing to you a message about victorious resolve. Victorious resolve. Now, some of you may have already said, whoops, I know where he's heading. Resolve. That sounds like another word, resolution. <laughs> so you may have been putting your foot on the brake, but I want to encourage you at least just back off the brake a little bit because I believe we're going to go in a direction that, that will be fresh and actually instead of discouraging, extremely encouraging towards victorious resolve. I've been the skeptic. I've been the one that it's a new year, but there's no way I'm going to make resolutions because why? I won't keep them, right? What we're going to talk about scripturally, a way that God can lead us to a victorious resolve, where what we purpose and what we desire and what we commit to do in our hearts and in our lives comes to be. So when we talk about resolve, I want to go back to a story that I've told a number of years ago, some of you may have heard, but it's about something that I'd resolved. And it was something that I needed to resolve, that I set this resolution and it was in my college years, the second year of college, I stepped into a relationship I wasn't looking for, but it's almost like it was just supposed to be. And I started in this relationship, and it was good, and as that relationship got stronger, there were things that started to rise up within me that were not healthy and were not good. And those things were, were rooted in insecurities. And what I found is that I could be a very jealous person in a relationship. I could be one who was uh, easily threatened. And, and as a result of that, it, I became controlling in the relationship, asking questions, challenging things that, that I shouldn't have challenged. So that jealousy and control had a grip on me. And for a long time, I tried to justify, I tried to defend, I tried to deny. But yet God played, brought me to a place where, where I admitted that I saw that this was a problem. The jealousy and control was not healthy in this relationship. So I resolved to make a change. I resolved to, uh, to be a different person than what I was. So in that course of things, uh, I was a believer. I was praying, praying to God. I was seeking his work and his way in, the, in, this, in this area. Went to counseling. I did all kinds of things. And, 
And I was making some progress, but it wasn't enough. And it ended up costing me the relationship. This is exciting, isn't it? (laughs) So this wasn't a New Year's resolution, but it was something of resolve that is identical to what can happen in our lives so many times, especially this time of year. That we see something, we're aware of something, we can see a a, a better path forward. But like, how do we get there? Like, how can we arrive at this better place? So here's the thing. Right now, if you would sit in front of a mirror and just look at yourself with God, are there things in your life that would be good to change? Like, can we move beyond the denial? Can we move beyond the, um, the ignoring the things that we shouldn't ignore? Like, could we look and say, here are some things that I need to stop, that God would have me to stop, it would be good for me to stop in this new year? Or are there things that it would be good for me to start? Like, I, I've thought in the past, like, yeah, this would be a really good thing, but are the things that God, you know, as you, as you look at yourself in the mirror with God, are the things that he would have you to start? Or maybe it's a combination of the stopping and starting. There, there are things in all of our lives that can certainly fall into these categories, And I'm going to go down through what is a typical New Year's message, and we're going to talk about resolutions. This is going to be brief. Uh, But I I did some reading and found some studies. So so studies actually vary, but there are some things that that are very much in common with what I found. First of all, what are common New Year's resolutions? I really want to do a family feud thing here, or survey says, you know. Um, We won't do that. Um, But as I read down through this list, this is a top 10 according to one survey, uh, but top New Year's resolutions, exercise more, lose weight. Okay, I just want to stop right, right here. Exercise more and lose weight. How many have seen any commercials in the last week? Okay, this is like 95%, right? It happens every year this time. These two things, exor- exercise more, lose weight, get organized, uh, learn a new skill or hobby, Live life to the fullest. That one's hard to measure, okay? Save more money or spend less money. Maybe do both. Quit smoking. Spend more time with family and friends. Travel more. Read more. Now, it's interesting to me, uh, these, again, are, there, there may be something on that list that resonates with you. Yeah, I really feel that like God's calling me toward that. Um, maybe none of those touched on where you're at right now. Um, but one thing that I did notice, and, and obviously I wouldn't expect it in the survey, but, but what about for the follower of Christ? What are some resolutions that we as Christians, as Christ followers, may uh, feel called to make in our lives? It could be something that we've already done together in the service. Maybe it's to pray more. Uh, maybe it's to be in the Word more. Uh, to be in a discipleship group and community. Uh, maybe it's to grow in telling our story giving testimony to others of what God has done and is doing in our lives. Maybe it's to invest in the next generation. Does anybody hear any visions thing, things in there? God may be calling us to make these kinds of resolutions as believers in Christ. But here's the thing. Surveys say, according to some studies, how long do you think the average resolution lasts? So, somebody read the same, same study as I did. Interesting, right now we're less than 12 hours into the new year, and, do you, and some have already broken their resolution. <laughs> Didn't even take a day, okay? No judgment. This is just the reality. Um, one in four, again, this is some surveys say, one in four people after one week, it's done. One in four, 25%. Average length of, of a successful resolution being carried out, this survey says 32 days. Somebody said a month. That's pretty typical. But here's the sad thing. And, and, you know, again, this is what has prevented many of us from even making a resolution. That this survey said that six out of seven people make the resolution not expecting to fill it. That's a hopeful start. <laughs> one in, only one in seven people really think that this is attainable. The rest of us are just like, I don't know, we're jumping on a treadmill waiting until we fall off. You know, I, I mean, it's like, but, but this is typical of resolutions. And over half 
feel that the issue is their, is their self-discipline. They're lacking self-discipline. Now, when they fail, they can often blame their community, their peer pressure, society, things like that. I just don't have enough time. There's, there's a lot of reasons. But then other people look to, um, to, helping other, to, to count on other people to help them. So they say, hey, let's make this resolution together. I'm going to make myself accountable to you. Um, so again, all these are good things. Success rate is not great. And this was really strange. This one survey said that, that on average of the people in the survey, and I have no idea who they would be, they would pay an average over $15,000 for somebody to be accountable to. I've got a new job. I'll be... <laughs> so one thing for sure is that those people were not making resolution to save money and spend less. But these are all, again, things that can be frustrating. So, so why do we make resolutions? Why do we set goals? Why do we try to move forward if we're just going to fail? But here's one of the things that, that I believe is a huge issue for us, that we have a goal in mind, we have a destination, we've defined that here's what it's going to look like when, when uh, I'm on the right track. And so many times, like, when we don't arrive there, that we slip and we fall, we feel that we've failed. But the reality is, is that, that progress is something that needs to be celebrated. We very seldom get to a place of a great breakthrough, a great transformation, a great new us without a lot of small steps along the way. And, you know, and I've just recently, I've really been made aware of this, is that like, like I can look back and see places where I have grown in my life. But then if I slip, I can, neg I can negate, I can forget the successes that I've had. I can feel like it was all for nothing, but that's not true. We have track records of success that we need to celebrate. We have small steps that really need to be, be looked at with great excitement and great anticipation. So here is this morning's Grace commercial concerning resolutions. Ready? What if we could do better at keeping resolutions, not by trying harder, but by surrendering more? Doesn't that sound like a good commercial? It seems too good to be true. It's like, I can eat any food I want all the time, and I'm going to lose weight. Exercise will not hurt. There will not be pain involved. I mean, this is what this sounds like, is that, that we can move forward in keeping resolutions, not by trying harder, but by surrendering more. The reality is, is that I don't think that this is a commercial or an ad, but a truth. And we're going to dive into scripture that I believe is going to point us to this very thing. And I do, I'm convinced that God can speak a, a word to us personally and collectively through this teaching toward victorious resolve. So what I would like to look at first is this passage from Galatians chapter 5. This is the fruit of the Spirit. There's a listing of nine aspects of the fruit. Now many times we look at it as a plural, as fruits. But these are actually the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular, but these are aspects of the fruit. They're it's the characteristics, the character of God that manifest in these, way, these ways. Uh, so Paul, writing to the Galatians, says that he, he talked about the fruit of the flesh, like what manifests the sins that come out of our lives. But in contrast, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Right there, we, we, in Advent, we were going through these. These are things that the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in our lives. So it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now here's the thing is that we can often look at our lives and say, hey, like, like this aspect of the fruit, like that's strong in me, this one it's not so. Okay, and you know the, the common one is like never pray for patience, right? That, that's like the, the wrong thing to do because it's going to. But but the thing is, is that these are all aspects of the character of God. It says it's the fruit of the spirit. Well, fruit, it's talking of the source, fruit of the spirit. It's from the spirit of God. Now this is talking about our lives. So what is it saying? It's saying that as the spirit of God is living in us, as our roots are in Him. The Spirit is living within us. This is what comes out. Okay, so we become the vessels, we become the trees, if you will, through which the, the, the nutrition runs and through which the, the life flows. And the fruit, it, yes, it's coming from our lives. It's seen in our lives. It's available for others to pick, okay? But it's not from us. It's from the Spirit of God that's living in us. 
Now, the thing that I've wrestled with for a lot of years, and I feel like I've found some peace and, re and resolve in this, is that that last one, self-control, uh, King James says temperance, other translations might say it a little bit differently, but self-control, I wrestle with this because, wait, isn't it the fruit of the Spirit? Then how is it self-control? Like, that can seem, to me, it can seem like they're in conflict, the fruit of the Spirit being self-control. But the reality is, is this, is that as believers in Christ, the Spirit of God lives within us. And the Spirit of God produces within us the ability to control, to have discipline, to have self-control that is not of me. It's of the Spirit of God. So in reality, if we want to connect these two together, self-control truly is spirit control, right? The fruit of the Spirit is discipline, is self-control. And that's what we're gonna be looking at and focusing on today. And and our key verse, and this is a verse that, that has been um, central in my life. God brings it back to my remembrance often. But we're going to go through it in a way that I hope is going to help you to, to maybe even memorize it and allow it to settle in your spirit uh, and to be transformational. And it's Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. And this is where we're going to focus today. Again, earlier in the same letter, Paul writes this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the context of this writing is that, that Paul is talking to, uh, to some people that were being drawn away, or, or he was actually addressing Judaizers who were taking Christians who had found faith in Christ, had found salvation through faith in Christ, and were saying, and you also need to go by the law, okay? You also need to follow these rules, these Jewish customs, these, the, the, the Old Testament law. And Paul says this, this is a key statement in this book. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. And we're gonna walk through this passage again and see how, how God is speaking through Paul to this church, but also um, through his word to us today. So we're going to be looking at three things, and for the, our note takers, again, if you want to write these down now, you can, but we're going to be going, going through them one by one. But I want to give you a flyover of how we can find victorious resolve. Victorious resolve is mine as I first surrender my life to Christ. As I surrender my life to Christ. Victorious resolve is mine as I surrender to Christ's life in me. To surrender to Christ's life in me. And third, victorious resolve is mine is as I surrender my heart to faith in Christ. I surrender my heart to faith in Christ. Now, do you see a commonality here? There's surrender. It's surrender throughout all. What if we could find victorious resolve not by trying harder, but by growing in our surrender. So we're gonna take these, um, this verse again in three parts, and we're gonna see how these truths manifest. So the first part that we're gonna look at is this, the beginning of the verse, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. So victorious resolve is mine as I surrender my life to Christ, and this is a death to self. Now, this sounds, uh, as it, it, it's a simple statement, but we've so often said that simple doesn't mean easy, right? I have been crucified with Christ and, it's, and I no longer live. So as we said, Paul's addressing people that are trying to put a yoke and a burden on people. It's a doing yoke. And here's something that I came across. I don't know if I've ever heard it, but it just hit me so strongly as I was preparing and I read this. Law says do, grace says done. Let that sink in. Law says do, law says I need to act in this way, I need to do these things, I need to stay away from these things. It's a doing mentality that I can get right, I can be where I need to be by doing. That's law. Jesus came and fulfilled the law, but, but it, it came to fulfill the law because we could not keep the law. 
We can't get to God by the doing. Law says do, but grace says done. Grace is God's gift given to us through Jesus Christ, the finished work of Christ. As we started this victory series in the fall, we were talking about it's all about the finished work of Christ, of what he has already accomplished. It's us stepping into the greater truth and reality of the finished work. So law says do, grace says done. There's a two-part identification that's happening here. When we say, I have been crucified with Christ, let's first of all look at that crucifixion of Christ. That crucifixion of Christ is Christ identifying with us. The crucifixion is Christ identifying with us. So it's God who left heaven, we just celebrated this at Christmas, came as a baby. And I just want to point to, to Christmas Eve that, that this isn't something that we should just be celebrating on Christmas, but we've had seven more days since to be celebrating. The, the birth of Christ, the coming of Christ, that God put on flesh and he came to earth. It's God identifying with us. That he took on flesh and he lived, and you know, we need to remember how he lived. He lived like a day-to-day life. 30 years of his life was just the standard ordinary living. Going to work, doing a job, living in a family. There's so many times we can look at the ministry years of Christ and they're incredible, we need to. But 90% of his life was in the day-to-day stuff that you and I can identify with. He was identifying with us in his living when he came to earth. He was identifying with what we go through. In all ways, he was tempted, even as we are, yet without sin. But he understands, he identifies with us. The ultimate identification was on the cross, where he who knew no sin became sin for us. That he identified with, with, with our sin, and he said, I, and, and his life declared no sin. He had never sinned. He was perfect, absolutely, in his living. But his identification with us says, said, as as God made flesh, I'm now going to pay the penalty for your sin. He identified with our sin, and he paid the price. He died for us. That's the identification of Jesus with us. And that, that identification is this crucifixion that Paul's referring to. So now he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Crucifixion of Christ is him identifying with us. I have been crucified with Christ means I'm identifying with him now. That Christ died for all. He died for the sins of all mankind. But yet, it's necessary for me to come into relationship with God by identifying with Christ in his death. Because the fact that Jesus' death covers the sin of all mankind, that only becomes mine, it only becomes yours as I identify with it, as you identify with it. As you confess that, that, that it was his, his death was for you, for your sin. That he died on that cross to pay the penalty for your sin so that you don't need to die forever. We have a physical death, but we have an eternal life through Christ. Life forever in the presence of God because Christ identified with us and we then identify with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. So that's the dual identification. Romans 6, 4, it says that when we were baptized, we were buried with Christ. That that act of baptism is going under the water. It's identification with the death of Christ. I am crucified with Christ. And what does he say? Does he say, I no longer live? Now we're going to go on in the verse that says that, yes, there's still a physical life. But what he's talking about is the old person, the old man, that fleshly nature that we've, that we've been, been born with. Do we still deal with that fleshly nature? Yes, but we're, we're crucifying with Christ. That person no longer lives. There's a finished work there. But the thing is, is that it's, it's the already and the not yet. So spiritually, we have died We've been crucified with Christ, we no longer live, and we still have to deal with us. <laughs> but we deal with us by his power. We're gonna, we're gonna get into that more. So here's a challenge. This proclamation, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. That's saying, I am dead. Now I need to live like it. Can we let that settle? I am dead, but now I need to live like it. Because so many times, foundational issue that we're dealing with in our resolve is that we're feeding, we're giving life to the old man. We're not resting, we're not settling in this truth that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. 
So, when things rise up within us, when the old man starts to surface, when the anger comes out, when the jealousy manifests, when the impatience arises, when all these things of the old person start to, start to show up in our lives, can we come back to this declaration, stand in it, walk in it, live in it, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's dying to the flesh. It's crucifying the flesh. It's moving forward by not feeding what we have, been, have declared as dead. The thing is, is that there's a saying, you know, like, don't beat a dead horse, right? Don't beat it. It's because it's futile. It's like it's not going to help. It's not going to bring them back. And I read one time in a book that, so even if we don't prop or beat dead horses, we'll prop them up and try and ride them, right? Like we, like, like we get stuck in something that, that's not going to be life-giving. And we do that with ourselves so many times. That we're, we're expecting things from the old man that, that the old man cannot bring. We're, we're giving place to that there's fleshly things that, that we just need to say, say, stop it. You know, you're dead. To speak to the old man and declare, I have been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. You know, there's um, an old, old video. Bob Newhart does it. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but he, he's counseling somebody and he says, I've got the answer. And here it is. And he, Prompts, prompts her and everything and like get ready, write it down. And, and it's simply this, write it down. Stop it. That simple and that difficult. We have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us that live. Christ, when he was speaking to the disciples, said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Let's let the old man be dead. Let's live as people who have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live. What's the, what's the next portion of the verse say? Not only this, I'm crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. But Christ lives in me. So victorious resolve is mine as I surrender to Christ's life in me. So getting out of the way is necessary for us. But like we can deny ourselves, we can do a lot of things, but it's not just about denying ourselves, it's yielding to the life of Christ that is within us. It's not just getting me, the old me out of the way, but it's inviting and celebrating and walking and embracing in, of the life of Christ in me. And this is life from him, is living within me. It's living within you as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not just identifying with his death, but it's now it's participating in his resurrection power. Did you hear that? It's not just identifying with his death, but it's participating in his resurrection power. That same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and it lives in me. Amen. That's the life of Christ, that life from Christ that is resident within us. Romans 6.13 says this, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wick wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So that's his righteousness, it's his power, it's his life that is resident within us. Let's live in the light of his life within us. For those of us that are in Christ, we have this confidence that he lives within us, that our physical bodies are dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. I need to be reminded of that. This physical body is a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, and that means two things. One is that wherever I take this, he's going. Right? He lives within me. Whatever I'm saying or whatever I'm doing, I'm carrying him with me. Boy, that'll help us, won't it? We need to be reminded of that. Everything I'm doing, wherever I'm going, I'm taking the life of Christ with me because he lives within me. And that also means that I have his power that is with me always. It also means that I have his strength, that in my weakness, I have his strength with me always. I'm carrying him with me always. He is alive. His life is within me. Now, for me, this is helpful. Maybe it will be for you as well. 
for me to appreciate greater what that means, look at his creation. Everything that we see, everything that we can touch, came from nothing but the speaking of his, of his voice. All that is created was formed from nothing except the speaking of his voice. When you look at the intricacies of creation, and, and when you get down to even the smallest thing our eyes can see, but, the, but what forms all that is, the order, the intricacies, the, the marvel of it, this is all from God. This is, this is from the spoken word. Jesus, the word, spoke, and this came to be. You look at the vastness of the universe. You look at the beauty of nature. You look at all these things, and you see the greatness of God. And now remember that that God lives in you. The one who created all this, who brought order, who is life everywhere, that is the God that is in you. And so many times I get caught up in my limited thinking, my small possibilities thinking. Like, this is what I can achieve, or even for this year, this is what I can do. Well, let's look at it this way. What can Jesus who lives in you do? Like, am I limiting myself to what I can conceive or to what God is desiring to work in and through me? It expands everything. And when I think of this is that God calls us to be holy, even as he is holy, okay, that's righteous, that's not just in concept, but in our, in our living, like, he calls us to that. Well, if I'm thinking in the old me, impossible. But when I think about Christ in me, the spirit of God in me, it's then his holiness that's gonna manifest through me. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes, have you ever done something good that surprises you? Like, you know, you're in a situation and, and you know, somebody says something mean to you or, or it's just something where, where it would be so easy for you to just react in a way that is the old man. And all of a sudden, this like beauty comes out, like this kindness, this patience, this understanding. It's like, where'd that come from? It was from him. It's his life in you. And that's what God is desiring for us to grow in constantly in, in, in allowing his life to be in us, manifesting more and more. So one of the things that I found, though, in my small me thinking, the small possibilities thinking, my own strength thinking, is that I've camped in a place that's paralyzed me. It's got me stuck. We talked about the ruts. But sometimes the block can be this, is that I have an issue with God, that I'm blaming him for something. There's something inside of me that I haven't been able to shake. There's something externally that has happened or is happening, and I'm blaming him. Now, here's the challenge. is like, how can I blame him and also find help from him? Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I believe that we've all been in these places, and, and, and some of us may be in that place right now where, where we're struggling with things, and we're just like, God, how could you? You did this to me and all that. That's, that's natural. We need to work through those things. We need to address them. But here's the thing that happens. I think that so many times we can be blaming God for things, either internally and or externally, and it's created a wall that's preventing him from moving the way he desires. But I believe in that wall, there is a door. And that door has Christ at that door. And Christ is saying, hey, but I'm in here for you. I just, I just need an opportunity. Give me a chance would you let, let me out or let me in, whichever way it needs to go. But there's a door in that wall and Jesus is there and he is desiring to live in you and through you in a way that will, will take you to the next level of what he has for you. This, this beauty of what God is desiring to do. We're gonna get to faith because it takes faith to open that door. But in Philippians 2, we're instructed to this, that, that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who works in us, both to will and do according to his good purpose. We are to work out our salvation. The salvation is ours through Christ, but we're to work it out. Why? Because there is a God who lives inside of us that, that is desiring to work for us. It is God who works in us, both to will and to do according to his good purpose. So then we see the growth and we start to experience victory where we used to have defeat. C.S. Lewis wrote this. 
Because when we think about dying to self, we think, what's that mean? Like, where do I go? Where do I end up? But he said this. He wrote that when we lose ourselves by abandoning the clamor of self-will, God gives us back all our personality and boasts that when we are wholly his, we will be more ourselves than ever. That we are afraid of losing ourselves, but yet we find this fullness of who we are as we surrender to the life of Christ. We find what we were created to be, which is far more than what we think that we find that goodness, that wholeness, that holiness. So we die to self, we live from, we find life from Christ, and finally this last part of the verse, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Victorious resolve is mine as I surrender my heart to faith in Christ. So in this portion of the verse, we have the convergence of two lives. We have the convergence of our life here and now, and we, we're converging with the life of Jesus Christ here and now. It's this coming together of two lives. It's this partnering with Christ. So how does this convergence happen? How does it happen? It's by faith. It's by believing. You know, it starts, this relationship with God can only start by faith, through faith, by belief. Romans 10, 9, and 10. We confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. This this is a heart. It's the seat of our will. It's where our desires come from. Confess with our mouth, but we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we are saved. For it's the heart we believe and are justified. And it's with our mouth that we confess and we are saved. That the issue is faith. Who and what am I putting my faith in? What am I trusting in? That faith, again, is, just, is defined in Hebrews 11.1 1, that, that's confidence of what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Faith is not resting in what my eyes can behold, but in what my, what my heart has been touched. Who has touched my heart? It's that assurance, that confidence. So who is that confidence in? Life I now live... In the body, I live by faith, that first half, and that faith is in who? In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. First Peter 1, verses 8 and 9 say this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As I trust, as I believe in my heart of who he is, what he has done, who I am in him. There's this beautiful partnership, this coming together of my life and his life in me. The reality is is that I can't get there by working harder. I can't get there by trying harder. I can only get there through surrender. The accounts given of Martin Luther, he epitomized self-discipline, self-denial, even self-torture. In fact, he made the statement concerning himself. He said, if ever a man could be saved by monkery, being a monk, being disciplined, setting aside, self-denying himself, if any man could be saved by monkery, that man was I. He went to Rome and there's a, a sacred stairway that many climbed and believed that even as climbing, he climbed on hands, on their hands and their knees as they climbed, they felt that they could uh, pray people out of purgatory and it was this self-sacrifice and he was climbing those steps and he was sacrificing himself. He was doing And as he was doing, he clearly heard a voice from heaven. God speaking to him. It says the just will live by faith. It's not doing. It's faith. It's believing. It's trusting. This is how we're saved. It's it's by by the grace of God through faith. Faith is the door that that brings us into the, the forgiveness, into the wholeness of life. And what happened, that was transformational when he realized it's not about my doing. It's about trusting. It's about faith. He said, faith opened his eyes to the word in a completely new way. And this is what he said. From that time also, I beheld the precious sacred volume of the word of God with new eyes. I went over all the Bible and collected a great number of passages which taught me what the, what the work of God was. And as I had previously with all my heart hated the words justice of God, so from that time I began to esteem and love them as words most sweet and most consoling in truth. These words were to me the true gate to paradise. That his eyes were opened. See, 
I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? See, like perceive, understand what God has for you. Will you allow your eyes to be opened by surrendering from your self-effort, from your own strength, and surrender to the work of Christ in you? So faith is that condition of the heart that begins our life of faith, our walk of, of, after salvation, but it's a continuing work, it's a growing work, it's a progressive work, that we grow in faith. It's trusting God with all our hearts. So what do we find ourselves trusting in when we are faced with a challenge to change? What do we find ourselves trusting in when we know that this is something I need to stop or I need to start? Is it faith in me? Is it faith in even others coming alongside of me? Is it faith in the situation changing? When we put our faith in Christ, we will have victorious resolve. When we commit in our hearts, when we allow God to search our hearts and show us where we put faith in other things, now, can God use the, the, the gifts that he's given us? Absolutely. Can he use people around us? Absolutely. But he is the source. It's to him that we need to turn. It's in him that we need to trust. So it's this issue of the heart. Will my heart be filled with faith? Jesus made this declaration, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For they will see God. I need to see God. I need to look up from the rut. I need to see the possibilities that can only be found in him. So earlier in this message, I shared with you a failure in resolve. It cost me a relationship. But within the two months following, God led me to a moment. Now, it was a moment, but he had been leading me there all along. I remember distinctly being in a service. And it wasn't, I was a visitor. It was in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Don't remember who spoke. I don't remember what it was about, but I remember what happened. Is that in that service, I felt God leading me to a place of surrender where some of you have heard, have heard me describe this, where I felt like I, I literally reached in my chest and took out my heart and gave it to the Lord. I was already a follower of Christ, but yet there's stronghold. There was something that was in me that needed to be broken. I couldn't do it. Jesus could. And when I, when I gave him my heart, he healed me. And what I wasn't able to accomplish over a period of years what I tried so hard to overcome, he took care of in the moment of surrender. And those things of jealousy, control, and relationship, they were gone. They were gone. And one of the great joys of my life, of Joel and I are coming up on 30, 33 years of marriage this year. But early on, I remember talking, praise, praise God. Thank you, Joel. <laughs> Wasn't, wouldn't be possible without you. <laughs> but, but it was early, early in the marriage that, you know, when we had talked about it, that Joel said, you know, I've never seen that person. And in these years of marriage, that the jealousy and control have not been issues. It has not been a stronghold at all in our marriage. But that's because of God. It's because he did what I could not do. It's because my trying harder could not change me but his grace, his mercy, his power, his love transformed me and I was made new. Surrender is the key. And the thing is, is that in the process, I really thought, I thought I'd hand it over to God over and over and again, but yet he took the circumstances to lead me to a place of the surrender that I needed to find victorious resolve. God desires to lead us all to that place that place of, of surrender so that we can trust him completely. So this victorious resolve is the three things. It's death to self, it's life from Christ, and it's a partnership with Christ. So what is God speaking to you? Here's the thing is that earlier I gave a statistic that one in seven people that make resolutions it's only one in seven that believe they can be fulfilled. I believe in this place. God wants to stir faith. That God wants us to, to see him and to see us in a way that there's confidence that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. That he who is calling you to transformation is with you to bring you through it, 
to, to make it a reality in your life. So I'm going to just say a prayer, and we're going to close the service with this declaration that he makes all things new. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. God, this day is a new day. It's a gift from you. We've entered into a new year. We thank you, God. God, that you have been faithful. You've brought us through. You've brought us to. And you, Lord, are going before us now. God, we thank you for the gift of being in your presence together as a body. For those that are joining us online, for this connection that we have. Your spirit is present at all places and we are together with you. God, we thank you for your word that speaks so clearly. So God, help us, Lord, to just come open-handed before you and say, God, Lord, what do you desire to do in my life? It's not something I want to resolve. It's, Lord, what do you desire to do? So God, as we submit to you, as we commit to you, Lord, we want to get ourselves out of the way. Lord, uh, God, we want to truly um, be dead to ourselves. We want to truly allow your life to reign in us. And God, we want to be in this divine partnership that you have created, us with you and you with us, to dwell with you, to abide in you, to remain in you. And God, we desire all this for your glory. God, not that people would look at us and be so pleased with what they see in us, but they would look at us and that they would see you, that they would hunger for you, that they would desire you. We pray that you would be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the way that we're gonna close the service, I'm just gonna come, come up right after this and have a dismissal, but I wanna close the service with the video that we opened this teaching with. Because for me, I watched this over and over again. And we watched it as an introduction to a message, but I just want to encourage you as you watch this, allow the truth that the Spirit of God is speaking to you to speak afresh through this message, all things new.